0: time today uh, to deal with the topic of the Holy Spirit. and uh, we're going to deal with uh, I've, I've had several discussions in probably the last month and a half two months with numerous people and what does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives at different points? And so we want to look at some things from Scripture. I will tell you that um, the topic of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, is not something that we can exhaustively study in one service. Uh so today we're going to give a very high level kind of framework if you will or overview of how he works in a person's life and uh then uh, and we may do this on several topics over the next several weeks and then uh, Lord willing at some point we may come back and do uh a several week study uh where we delve into it a little bit deeper and and make sure that we Um, get all that the Bible has to say about it. Um, So we're going to deal with the topic this morning, or this afternoon, of the Holy Spirit and uh, His role in our lives uh, at different points. Before we were saved, uh, when we got saved, now that we are saved, and those types of things. And uh, we're going to look at Scripture and see what does the Bible have to say about it. There's a lot of discussion about it. Uh, You can ask a number of people, and a lot of people have different ideas about it. Uh, I would much rather go and see what does the Bible say <laughs> about it and uh, let the Holy Spirit tell us what the Holy Spirit does uh, in these areas. And so I want to try to be a help to us and just take the Bible for what it says and um, hopefully it'll be a help to you. Again, we're not going to exhaust the study today um, if you have uh, further questions. Feel free to ask them after the service to me, and we'll look them up or study them together. Uh, but I hope to do an in-depth study, uh, maybe before even the end of the year this year, on a few of these topics that uh, I think are somewhat misunderstood, sometimes even in our, our Baptist circles. And uh um, want to make sure we are right and understand what the Bible has to say about them. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll start in John chapter number 16. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word, uh, how that it instructs us and guides us. We ask for the next few moments that You will um, allow Your Holy Spirit to bring to light and uh, to our hearts the truth of Your Word. May we rightly divide it and understand it. Father, deliver us from taking things out of context or uh, misreading, un- misunderstanding the passage. Father, may we look wholly upon what it says and uh, take it for what it is. And I pray that you'd help us to um, be encouraged, to be strengthened in our faith by the things that we'll look at and see today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is the Holy Spirit's work before uh, we get saved? Um, there are a couple of issues when we deal with... Um, Understanding spiritual matters. One of them is the fact that the Bible says, "...the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, uh, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned." And so sometimes in discussing um, what we call the meat of the Word, perhaps, or, or some uh, harder portions of Scripture, it's difficult for someone who is unsaved or does not have the Holy Spirit of God living and indwelling in them to understand those passages the Bible's quite clear about this. In John chapter number 14, uh, in fact, just take a minute to look there real quick with me before we get started. John chapter number 14 <clears throat> and verse number 17. John chapter 14 and let's we'll start in verse number 16. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, capital C, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit, capital S, again, speaking here of the Holy Spirit, even the Spirit of truth, Notice this: whom the world, what's the next word here, cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So, again, prior to salvation, uh, it's hard for the Holy Spirit to do any other work than the work of drawing that soul to Christ. Um, the because the the world does not and cannot. Uh, understand the things of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible teaches very clearly that a man uh, cannot come to gr- Christ unless the Holy Spirit draws him. There's, there needs to be an understanding in our hearts of our condition. There needs to be the convicting of the Holy Spirit upon us uh, for us to understand these things. That brings us to John 16. And so what what is it that the Holy Spirit does in our lives prior to salvation that brings this conviction or helps to draw our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John chapter number 16, if you will, let's begin in verse number 7. <clears throat> John says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. for uh, speaking or Christ is speaking here. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, notice this, he will reprove... "...the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment." So we find that the the, the Holy Spirit, once the Lord Jesus Christ ascended it back into heaven, has come for the purpose of bringing reproof to the world. He reproves us of our sin. He reproves us in the area of righteousness so that we know what righteousness is. He reproves us in the area of right judgment, and so we understand those things." Uh, It it all deals with the conscience of a person. Um, Again, being convicted uh, is very much necessary, uh, and understanding our need of a Savior is very much necessary in order for a person to come to Christ. And so one of the roles that the Holy Spirit plays in an unsaved person's life is a role of reproving or bringing conviction to, uh, causing them to understand that there is sin, there is righteousness and there is a just God that demands uh, a, a payment for the sin. Um, so, one of the, one of the things the Holy Spirit does before we get saved is that He reproves the world of sin. Now, the second one is found in Genesis chapter number 6. Genesis chapter number 6, I believe, and verse number 3. the Lord said uh, verse number three wrote uh, Genesis six verse number three, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that he is also, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in one hundred and twenty years uh, now by the way, he's not saying that man's days are going to be 120 years and giving length of life here. He's speaking here of the judgment to come uh, by way of the flood. It was 120 years uh, from the time that the Lord said this before the flood actually happens. And so he's dealing here with the fact that he's trying to bring this world that is unrepentant, uh, that's against him, every man's doing that which is right in his own eyes. He gives 120 years of the Holy Spirit striving. But he tells them, he says, I'm not always going to strive. There's going to be 120 years, and then that's it. So another thing that the Holy Spirit does, beyond just reproving us, is that He strives with man. He makes the effort. And aren't we glad of that? When we were lost, we had no desire to come to Christ. And I'm thankful that God sent His Holy Spirit to strive with us, to put forth the effort to try to reach us. Uh the Bible teaches quite clearly that there comes a time where a man it goes past or beyond feeling he becomes reprobate in his mind and the Holy Spirit stops or or discontinues striving with him. And uh so a second thing that he does prior to salvation is he strives with us. He continues, he labors, he's very long suffering. Uh certainly the Bible is true in every aspect, but when God said uh, that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, know this, that God gives ample opportunity to every individual that needs to be saved to come to Christ. And He does so through the Holy Spirit striving with men, uh, trying to reach them, trying to uh, bring things into their life that will cause them to turn to Christ. It's amazing to me how many times, even in Christian circles, When things go awry and perhaps uh, maybe uh, some things aren't going the way that they should, it seems like the human nature side of us, the tendency is to turn from God and to blame Him and to get bitter at Him. And to say, well, I can't believe God allowed this to happen in my life. When really, probably what that is, is the Holy Spirit striving with us in some area to draw us closer to God. Now, I'm not saying in every case... But how often that we see in our lives or in the lives of folks that we know, uh, there there comes a rough patch in our life, and the next thing you know, they're blaming God or quitting on God or departing from God. And the truth of the matter is, it ought to be those things that draw us to Him. I, I remember the night sitting in, in right across the street here, just across the parking lot. I remember the night where the thought came into my mind uh, that, uh, Lord, I, I just I, I'm ready to just give it all up. I'm ready to just quit. And uh, life had become too difficult, it seemed like. And in just an, uh, in an instant, in a moment, it just became so evident that, look, if I'm going to make it through this, I've got to have Him. I've got to run to Him, not away from Him. I've got to cling to Him. He's my only source of strength at this point. If I don't have Christ, I don't have anything. If I don't have God's help, I, I'm lost in this thing. Uh, I'm not going to survive this. And it ought be those times that we come running to Christ. And sad to say... Uh, in a lost person's life, when the Holy Spirit strives with them, when He brings conviction, when He reproves them of their sin, oftentimes uh, there is a revolt against that. There's a stiffening. The Bible refers to it in the Old Testament as being stiff-necked or high-handed, having a rebellious hand toward God. Um, I remember years ago when we had our first daughter, uh, we were the best parents in the world, and boy, we were going to be strict disciplinarians, and we were going to I mean we were going to raise the perfect children, the first people in the world to raise a perfect child, and we were. Uh, she was perfect for about one second as she came out of her mom and then it was all over after that. Uh, but uh, I never forget she was probably I think about two years old, Alyssa. in fact, I'll be seeing her Lord willing tomorrow night. And uh, I think she was about two years old. And we used to give her spankings. Uh, and we used these little... Uh, Home Depot had these uh, five-gallon paint pail stir sticks. Boy, they are great paddles. They're lightweight. They sting. They don't cause any damage. You're not going to abuse your kid with it. Uh, they're lightweight. And they they certainly are great. We have broken many of those. <clears throat> We're not going to tell you how, but we've broken a few of them. And um, so anyway, I remember uh, Lissa one night. Uh, was told to do something, and she didn't do it. And so at our house back then, we would begin to count. Now, some people say, Brother Greg, you shouldn't count. I mean, now you're just giving them an excuse. No, we weren't counting to give her time to obey. She had already disobeyed. What we were counting is how many swats she was going to be getting. And she understood that. And so the higher that number got, uh, the worse it was for her. And uh, I'll never forget my wife went in there that night. I don't remember what I was doing in the other I was busy doing something, and she took my daughter in the other room, and I could hear the the, the uh frustration in my wife's voice as she said, Alyssa, don't fight me, don't fight me and she said, Bend over that bed, I'm not gonna fight you. Bend over that bed. And she started counting and uh and Alyssa, I'll never forget, she's about two and a half years old, gritted her teeth at my wife and said Mom, I'm fighting you, and I'm glad I'm fighting you," she said. <laughs> Two and a half years old. Can I tell you this? That was the wrong thing to say. And uh, trust me, there was a there was a submission of the will that day on behalf of Alyssa. And uh, I'll tell you, there was no way that was gonna that was gonna hold. And uh, there was a breaking of the will. And and then of course the Lord gave us a very sweet daughter. And she laughs about that to this day because she remembers doing that. And uh, but you know the truth of the matter is, we we look at that and we think, oh boy, I can't believe Alyssa did that. But how many times do did we as lost people? How many times do we as saved people do that? God, I'm fighting you, Holy Spirit, I'm fighting you. I'm glad I'm fighting you. High-handed, stiff-necked. We've lost what conviction is. The day and age that we live, people, we're so offensive-oriented anymore. Have you noticed that? People get offended by what? How many hairs you have on top of your head anymore? They get offended just by looking at you. And everybody's offended by this and offended by that. Can I tell you this? Man, I, I'll tell you, that it, back when I was a kid, they slapped us up one side down the other. And if we said, I'm offended, they gave us something to be offended about after that. Can I tell you this? We have become such uh, so so overly sensitive to this thing of being offended that when we are convicted, when our own conscience is pricked because of what something has been taught to us or something we've read from Scripture, we say, "Oh, I'm offended by that because it bothers us." Can I tell you that's that's just plain old fashioned conviction. And conviction ought not be something that we get offended over. Conviction ought to be something we deal with. It ought to be something that we say, boy, there's a problem there that needs to be resolved. And sad to say, before people get saved, the Holy Spirit will strive with them. The Holy Spirit will reprove them of their sin. And sad to say, in the day and age that we live so many times, (coughs) because we have lost the concept of having a conscience that was sensitive or having the ability to uh, be pricked in our conscience, or to have the ability <coughs> to have conviction in our lives, we mark it up and we chalk it up to being offended, and we go on with our lives oftentimes. So the Holy Spirit, before we are saved, uh, reproves us, He strives with us. Man uh, cannot really benefit much more than that from the Holy Spirit's work other than in those two areas before they're saved. Now then, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit does a few more things. And aren't we glad of that? Uh, Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. And uh, let's look in verse number 9. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. Let's back up... um, Let's go back to verse number. Six. You know, let's let's just start at verse one. It's good. We need it all. We need it all, and we'll go down to verse number eight. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Well, what a phrase! Oh my, what a wonderful thing! Who walk not after the flesh, but after the what? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me... What's the next word here? Free from the law of sin and death. You know, before we got saved, we were bound by the law of sin and death. When we get saved, the Spirit of God makes us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be not done away with, but fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Boy, do a lot of Christians good to memorize that verse. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. This is the carnal mind. Mind that has not been transformed yet by the Holy Spirit of God. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh. Who is he speaking to here? speaking to those that are saved, those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. So when we get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He comes to live inside of us. There is something new that used to be dead in there. When God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He made them a three-part person, body, soul, and spirit. At the point that man sinned, I believe, personally, that his spirit died as far as in relation to God. And that for all these years, it remained dormant and dead inside of us, this spiritual nature. When we get saved, the Bible says, and you hath he quickened, or made alive. What did he make alive? Well, he made our spirit alive. He caused us to come back to this place of minding the things of the spirit. They all of a sudden are no longer after the flesh. Now they're after the Spirit. We don't follow the lust of the body anymore. We're not controlled by our natural appetites and our sinful condition. We now have something new inside of us that is drawing us, is vying for our affections and our attentions. So he says in verse number 9, But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And so the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. All right, let's look in First Corinthians chapter 2. Again, dealing with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Keep that word in mind because there's a difference here that is um, pointed out in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 12. Now, we have not, re- now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So we didn't receive the Spirit of the world when we got saved. We received the Spirit of Of God, not the spirit of the world. Galatians chapter number (coughs) 4. Galatians chapter number 4 and verse number 6. Let's go to verse number 4 and we'll read down to verse 6. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit, capital S, of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So again, we have at least three different passages. We could probably give you many more even that deal with the fact that the Holy Spirit of God, when we get saved, comes to indwell us. The Bible says, what? Know know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You're bought with a price. We now have, uh, the third person of the Trinity residing inside of us. Uh, that's, that's a, that's an exciting thought and a very scary thought all at the same time. You ever notice that? If we lived with that thought in mind, would it change how we live? You know the sins of the heart? The sins of the mind are the most common sins that Christians commit. And the reason that is so is because we don't think anybody else sees them. But the truth of the matter is, the Lord knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Holy Spirit of God lives there. He resides in us. He sees everything that we see. He knows everything that we think. He hears everything that we hear. We could live with that in mind. Do you think it would change the way we live sometimes? Do you think it might change the things we listen to? Maybe change the things we watch? The things we read? The things we feed our minds? The places that we go, perhaps? You ever thought about this? There are some places that we've gone in our lives that if we had Jesus walking right beside us, we'd be embarrassed to death to have Him there. And yet we did take him with us by way of his Holy Spirit. It's a sobering thought. It's an exciting thought. Because there's so many things that he does for us by indwelling us. But it's a very it's a very sobering thought. Very scary thought in some aspects. It helps us to understand the long suffering of a loving God. It helps us to better understand his mercy that is given to us every single day. For us to drag Him to the places we take Him to, to have Him weed and, and wade through the thoughts that our minds have, to have Him look at the things that we place our eyes on and to think on the things that we put our minds on, to have Him listen to the things that we put into our ears, most of us would be embarrassed to death to stand before Him and have that happen. And yet He's there inside of us hearing all of it, seeing all of it, going everywhere we go. He dwells us. Look with me, if you will, in First Corinthians chapter number twelve. First Corinthians chapter number twelve, <clears throat> verse number thirteen. For by one Spirit, capital S, are we all baptized into one body? whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So we have been baptized into the Holy Spirit of God at salvation. Uh, We are indwelt by Him. We are baptized into His body. We become part of that body. And then we find in Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 13, Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13. in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased uh, possession, under the praise of His glory. So we are sealed, the Bible says, under the day of redemption. I'm thankful that when we get saved, it is not we that seal ourselves or to keep ourselves sealed. It is the Holy Spirit of God that keeps us sealed. So He indwells us at conversion, at salvation. He baptizes us into His body. And He seals us under the day of redemption. After we are saved, alright, so this is the moment of salvation, those three things happen. After we are saved, there are some other things that the Holy Spirit does. And I love these. Uh, we oftentimes know of a few of these, but we are not always conscious of them or aware of them, nor do we often think of them. But they are wonderful and they are powerful in the Christian life. The first one is in Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 18, very familiar passage of scripture. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Once we get saved, there is not just the indwelling, But now there's a thing that the Bible refers to as the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've heard some people say that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but how much of you the Holy Spirit has. Now, I will say this, that I do believe that it is dependent upon how much we are yielded to that Holy Spirit. But we can quench and we can grieve. And we can cast out the Holy Spirit from our lives. You say, how do you know that? Because in Revelation chapter 3, the, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's trying to get back in. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will supple him and he with me. Now, it doesn't mean that he's quit indwelling us, but the ability that he has or that the, uh, the amount of power that he has allowed us to have and experience, the amount of his, uh, influence in our lives, the amount of, uh, the, uh, strength that he gives us for service is limited by the things that we do so when somebody says it's not about how much of the holy spirit you have it's how much of him uh, how much of you the holy spirit has the actuality of the matter is it's both ways as i yield myself to the holy spirit he is then free to give more of himself to me not even in the in the dwelling i have all of the holy spirit i'm going to have with the indwelling but when it comes to the filling of the holy spirit that can ebb and flow the amount that He can use me, the amount that He has strength and power to, to do that, I can quench that. I can grieve that. I can cause Him, uh, by my testimony, by uh, or the lack thereof, or by my sinful nature, I can cause that to where He's actually literally pushed out of the whole picture. And I go about living my life in my own strength and my own power. The Bible talks about that, that there are carnal Christians... That even though they have the ability to live uh, under the freedom of the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, they choose willingly to still be bound under the law, under the law of sin and death. Even though they're saved, they choose to live this way, and as they do so, they're not walking in the Spirit; they're not being filled by the Spirit. Uh, he is not uh, able to. He's not. Uh, uh, I, I can't say that he. I don't want to limit him in the fact of ability, but he has chosen to tie or to limit uh, His working in us to our walk with Him, our, our yieldedness to Him. He's chosen to make that distinction. And uh, so He limits Himself in that area. So, uh, again, there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is what uh, was spoken of by the Lord Jesus Christ. As He told His disciples in the book of Luke, I believe it is, that they would go into all the world... And just before he ascended up into heaven, they were to preach and they were to disciple everyone. But the Bible says, but I want you to go to Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. This in doing, this word in doing. Again, not the indwelling. The disciples, I believe, were already indwelt by that time. They already had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But the resting of the power of the Holy Spirit upon them did not come until the day of Pentecost. And by the way, there are times that we can look back through history and see unusual works of the Holy Spirit by way of revival, where He chose to move in powerful ways and use certain instruments and vessels that were pliable and were yielded to Him. And that had willing spirits and their, their, their hearts were just in the right place. And the Holy Spirit chose to use them in such a powerful, powerful way. And by the way, that ought to be the kind of vessel you and I are. That we are sitting there waiting for the Holy Spirit to do that type of thing with us, should He choose to do so. For us to yield ourselves to Him. For us to plead for that. To yearn for that. To have a desire for that kind of filling of the Holy Spirit. The, con- uh, the context of this particular verse was such that for many years I never understood why in the world God would, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pen a a, a passage about being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit in the same verse. It didn't make sense to me. Until I was thinking one day, and I realized that a drunken person has no control over his faculties. The spirit of the wine or the drunkenness controls him and i believe that god uses this as a word picture that this isn't what we're to be controlled with what we're to be controlled with is the holy spirit of god we're supposed to be so yielded to him that literally he controls every aspect of our life the filling of the holy spirit now uh, let's go to 1 john chapter number 3 and we'll hurry through here we've got just a couple more again just a kind of a high level overview of uh, the, the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, <coughs> in different stages of our lives. 1 John chapter number 3 and verse number 4. Whosoever commit a sin... Uh, 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 do I have that right passage? Uh, yeah, I don't have the right one. I wrote it down wrong, I guess. Alright, well, I've got another verse for it. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Let's go there. I apologize. Romans chapter number eight verse number sixteen. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God. So the second thing the Holy Spirit does after we're saved is it gives us assurance. It gives us assurance. Uh you ever met somebody that gets saved about 20 times and they constantly are struggling with uh, whether they're saved or not, battling that? I'm not saying that Satan never brings doubt to the heart of a believer. But it ought to be such that when those doubts come, it doesn't take very long of reading Scripture and understanding Scripture for us to be assured once again. Because again, the Holy Spirit that indwells us brings assurance to us. And he tells us this in verse number 16 of Romans 8, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus, with Christ, if so be, we may suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. And so, again, the Holy Spirit of God brings assurance to our lives. I've met people before that have come forward in a church service and said, I don't think I'm saved. And we go to, through the scriptures. And do you know that you're a sinner? Yes. Do you know that uh, Jesus died to pay for that sin? He rose again on the third day? Yes. Have you, have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and His payment for your sin on Calvary? Yes, I have. Then according to the Bible, what does God say you are? You're saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, not might be. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not might, not maybe. And so sometimes people have come and I've said, you know what, you need to get the assurance of this. And before they left, they were rejoicing the fact that they knew they had trusted Christ as their Savior. They didn't have to get re-saved. But there are times that you talk to somebody like that and they say, well, I prayed a prayer and I just don't really know what I was doing at the time. That person needs to trust Christ as their Savior. But there are times that somebody may have some doubt. They've trusted Christ. They were sincere when they did it. There was fruit uh, initially at least. And maybe they'd fallen away from the Lord a little bit and backslidden. And sometimes they just need that assurance. And the Holy Spirit of God can do that for us. Uh, let's turn to First Corinthians chapter number two. 1 Corinthians chapter number two and verse number ten. <clears throat> I love this one, but God hath revealed them unto us. Let's back up, verse number uh, nine. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered in, have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them to us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things. Yea, notice this: the deep things of God. The the the, uh, the next thing that God that the Holy Spirit does is He is he teaches us. Um, I just the church just got a new Toyota tundra for me to drive uh the other a couple of weeks ago. There's a couple of little gizmos on there. I don't know what they do. And so uh, I asked Jonathan. Who well, piddled with it? I don't know. I asked Reagan. Well I don't know. When all else failed and I couldn't get an answer to it. I opened the glove box, and you know what was inside there? There was an owner's manual. You know who wrote that owner's manual? The people who designed the truck. And they wrote in there exactly what all this stuff did. And in just a few moments, I read it, and I knew exactly what that thing did. Why? Because I went to the source to find out something that I didn't know. How often you and I as Christians will read something we may not understand, and maybe some of the deep things of the Lord, and, and I don't think it's wrong for us to discuss them and think about them among ourselves and to, to share a Scripture among ourselves. But, but can I tell you this? Uh, let's not go to all the books that man writes on the subject. Let's just come to the Bible. And let's let the Holy Spirit of God do His work. Can I tell you this? Uh, most things can be answered by the rest of the Scriptures. In fact, I would go so far as to say all of it can That you can find somewhere else in Scripture that helps explain that or expand on that or help bring more light to it. After so many years of reading Scripture, there's hardly a day goes by that I don't come across something in Scripture that I'm like, duh, I I just saw that for the first time. It makes sense now because I read over here and then that helped explain it. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He's the one who inspired this book. If we have a question about it, who should we ask? Not Jonathan or Reagan. (laughs) Get the owner's manual out. And then ask the owner to help teach you those things. He's our teacher. He knows the deep things of God that you and I can't understand. And He can show them to us and He can teach them to us. Romans 8, chapter number 2, or chapter 8, verse number 2. Romans 8, verse number 2. <clears throat> Give me a minute to get there. My page is stuck together. I ended up in the book of Acts, chapter 8. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be what? Fulfilled in us. So this is why the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus in verse number 2 produces, in verse number 4, the righteousness that we so long for. Is the law important to us? We're not bound by it, but yes, it's important to us. Why? Because it teaches us the righteousness of a holy God. The Holy Spirit of God helps to produce that righteousness inside of us. This is something He does after we're saved. <clears throat> by the way, uh, we've been teaching on Wednesday nights, the last couple of Wednesday nights, on liberty, Christian liberty. And by the way, the Bible does teach this. We don't preach on it very much, but it does. it is taught in Scripture. That we have liberty. And yet the Bible says that we're not to use liberty for an occasion for the flesh. We don't just throw caution to the wind, live however we want to, just because we have liberty now. But there is a yearning, if you will, to live godly in Christ Jesus. Not bound under the law, but out of love. That there be a growth in righteousness. There ought to be a desire that daily becomes more and more. The desire becomes greater and greater to please God. I'll be honest with you, when I was younger... And first saved, there was an excitement about being saved. And that newness, uh, kind of like the new car feel you get when you get a new car or something. The newness of salvation and the fact that I could lay my head down at night and no longer have nightmares and wonder if I was going to heaven. And boy, what a relief. Y'all remember the day you got saved and the relief that that was. But can I tell you this, that uh, there were times that I tried to produce things in my life simply because I knew I was supposed to. But as I grew and as I began to get older in ministry and as I began to study Scripture and as I began to understand some things in the Christian life, I started learning that, I, that the growth that was supposed to be produced in me was something that was supposed to automatically happen as my heart began to love Him more. I, I wanted to please Him. I, all of a sudden, it bothered me to disappoint Him. When I was real little, I used to get in trouble all the time. Uh, I was one of those Dennis the menace kind of kids. I mean, literally, I remember one summer, I, I, I tell my mom this all the time, she doesn't think it's true. But I'll tell you, I think I got a, a spanking every single day of that summer. And I mean, I would wake up in the morning saying, I am not going to get one today. And sure enough, I'd get one. And, and I used to think, boy, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get a spanking today. But the truth is, uh, every day I would end up getting one simply because I could not, I could not, uh, obey what mom and dad said and when mom would say go to your room and i'll be there in a few minutes or go to your room till your dad gets here i used to grit my teeth and grind my teeth and you know what i'd get upset at them well who do they think they are whipping me giving me these whippings all the time i was just a little eight-year-old rebellious little fella you know and nine-year-old something like that but you know there came a time and i can't really tell you when it happened But there came a time when one day I got in trouble and my mom sent me to my room and I loved my mom and dad for what they were doing. And all of a sudden I found that the obedience that used to be because I was afraid to death of mom and dad's belt was now because I did not want to disappoint mom and dad. I loved them. It hurt me more to hurt them than a whipping ever would. I don't know when that happened in my life, but it happened. And you know, in our Christian lives, when we first get saved, a lot of us don't know anything but just obey because, hey, it's what we're supposed to do. But you know, you'll find that the more you grow to love the Lord Jesus Christ, the more your obedience is because you don't want to hurt Him. The Holy Spirit will begin to teach you in righteousness what an amazing thing. I'm just going to give you these last three, and uh, we're already at one o'clock, 2 o'clock, so we'll just give them to you and the references, and uh, we may expound on them a little bit later uh, further on. Let's turn to Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter 16. And let's begin reading verse number 6. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16 and verse number 6. Now, when they had gone through uh, Phygia and the regions of Galatia and were forbidden, notice this, of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Messiah came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. The next number, whatever we're on, that what the Holy Spirit does after we're saved, is He helps to control and direct our service for him. He helps to control and direct our service for him. I was talking to my mom this week, and uh, you know the three men that told the Lord, Lord, we will follow you whithersoever thou goest, and each of them had an excuse. you remember that story? Do you know in that story, God only or Christ only called one of them? The, the middle one. He said, I want you to follow me. The other two fellas just volunteered. They just said, Lord, we will follow you. And I told my mom, I said, I think there's a lesson to be learned in that. Some people sit around saying, well, I'll serve God one of these days as soon as He shows me what He wants me to do. Can I tell you this? Even if He hasn't showed you exactly what He wants you to do, do something for Him. Do something for Him. See what the Holy Spirit has for you to do. Somebody said, if you can't shoot, carry bullets. Do something. Okay? Do something for the Lord. Uh, He's got something for every single one of us to do. And the Holy Spirit is the one that guides us and directs us in those areas. We need to be sensitive to that. We need to be yielded to that. It may be something we're not comfortable with. It may be something that we're shy about or embarrassed about. But the Holy Spirit will enable us and He'll guide us to do that. Number, whatever next one we're on. John chapter number 4. John chapter 4 and verse number 24. This is one that I think is greatly lacking sometimes in the day that we live. And I think largely because we have become so scared of the Word that we're going to be labeled a liberal by it. But can I tell you this? Worship is still in our Bibles. The, the, The liberal movement, the charismatic and the praise and worship movement the, the 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 Word of Faith movement has so misused and mis, misguided their worship that we don't even like to use the Word anymore, afraid that we're going to be branded a liberal. But can I tell you this, that the Holy Spirit directs us in our worship to God. Look with me in John chapter number 4 and verse number 24. Very familiar passage. Many people know this and can quote it. God is a Spirit, capital S, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He guides and directs our worship. Uh, I, I, we're going to. De- I'm, I'm going to have a whole message, I think, on that one. So I'm going to leave that one as it is. Uh, keep that one there, and we're going to add to that one here, maybe in a week or two. Th- this is such a, a, a needful. Message in the day that we live uh, about our worship. So, I, let's, I'm going to hold off on expounding on that one very much uh, right now, and we're going to maybe in a week or so here we'll have that message uh, on that. I, I think that's a very much needed thing in the day and hour that we live because it has been so misconstrued in our Baptist circles. Uh, we're afraid of it sometimes, the idea of worship, and yet it is a scriptural thing. Romans chapter number 8, and this is our last one. Romans chapter number 8. In verse number 26. What else does the Spirit do after we are saved? What role does He play? Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You ever been lost in prayer? Words failed you. You couldn't. You didn't even know what to pray. You didn't even know how to approach God on the issue. The Holy Spirit of God takes those groanings, those heartaches, those burdens, and He goes on our behalf and He prays for us on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that He prays for us. He intercedes for us. The Bible says, "With groanings which cannot be uttered." What does the Holy Spirit do after we're saved? He directs our worship. He controls our service. He prays and intercedes on our behalf. (coughs) He fills us. He gives us assurance. He teaches us. He produces righteousness. He does quite a bit of stuff, doesn't He? We need to be careful that we understand these things what his role is when a person is lost, what his role is when we get saved, and what his role is continuing after we are saved. And uh, Lord willing, we'll dig deeper into this. Maybe we'll do a two- or uh, three-week series on each of these things and delve into them deeper. But we're living in a day where there's an awful lot that is credited to the Holy Spirit that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that ought to be credited to the Holy Spirit that He's never given credit for. And uh, I think it's very important for us to understand and know what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And so I hope that will be a help to you. All right, let's uh, stand and be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that you bless and use the time that we've spent here together. May You guide us and direct us in all truth. We pray that as the days and weeks and months ahead of us uh, come, that You would allow Your Holy Spirit to guide us in Your Word, that we would understand the truth of it. Lord, may He be preeminent in all of our services, that He would speak to our hearts and do His work. Dismiss us now with Your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.